Welcome to Mariners Church Weekend Message Podcast. For more information on Mariners and ways you can get connected, head to marinerschurch.org or click the link in our show notes. Hi, I'm Gabriella, and I'm a junior at Foothill High School. Hi, I'm Jason, and I'm a senior at Pacific Coast High School. And welcome Welcome to to The Upside Down. Welcome to The Upside Down. This is your first time on The Upside Down, welcome. 2020 was a crazy year, but the best part of it was that we got The Upside Down. Gabby and I have the amazing opportunity to be student leaders on The Upside Down. We are able to use our creative talents to glorify God. We heard Doug was preaching this weekend and we decided that we wanted to help him out. Hey, I'm Riley and today I'm here with Nicole and Avery and we're gonna play Five Second Roll. Okay, Nicole, name three things you do not love. Um, uh, homework, people who talk really loudly on their phones, and miso soup. So Avery, name three things you love. Um, the beach, Leonardo DiCaprio, my mom. Oh, I didn't say, I didn't say God. God, wait. Name three ways to help others. Talk to them pray for them, and uh, ask if they need anything. (laughs) And And that that was Five five Second second Rule. (laughs) This weekend, we are celebrating and praying for our high school seniors. And that video that you just saw was put together by some of our students. And they create this weekly Instagram show called The Upside Down. And I love our teenagers here. We have some incredible teenagers involved in the junior high and high school ministry at Mariners. And if you're not involved, we'd love to connect with you. You see, when I was a teenager, I actually thought my parents were super weird. I mean, mostly because they said some really dumb stuff. I mean, they seem to have this endless supply of illogical statements. And I thought I'd share some with you. Like, don't look at me with those eyes. Well, mom, I'm not sure that's even totally possible. Or how about this one? Do you want me to pull the car over so I can beat you? (laughs) I mean, where was Child Protective Services when I was growing up? Most kids want to sit in the front seat, shotgun next to their parents. I wanted to sit directly behind my dad because I knew that he could never hit me from, from the front seat. Or how about this beauty? Change your underwear in case you're in a car accident. I mean, you know, that's what cops ask for, right? License, insurance, and proof of clean underwear. Or how about this one? Were you born in a barn? And I remember one time I said, well, you should know you were there. But I only said it one time. See, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and my parents treated spankings like it was an Olympic sport, and they they definitely stood on the winner's podium. Or how about this one? Uh, one day you'll thank me for this. And they would say it in rhythm with, you know, spanking. One day you'll Thank me for that. And the truth is, I never put that in a Father's Day card. I never wrote, Dad, you're right. I want to thank you for that one time on December 22nd, 1970, when you pulled my pants down in a fabric store and spanked me while mom was looking at pattern books smoking a cigarette. That never happened. But the dumbest thing my parents said is this, do as I say, not as I do. I mean, we all know this is the epitome of hypocrisy. And I know parenting is difficult, But my parents said some really weird stuff. So 
it's with a personal knowledge of knowing what's weird that we're actually going to turn to something weird that Jesus said. And actually, weird is an understatement. But unlike my parents, Jesus doesn't say, do as I say, not as I do. Instead, Jesus invites us into this radical type of love that he himself demonstrated. See, Jesus didn't just say it, he did it. But I'm warning you, it's weird. And, and it's super different. And, and you may remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Eric said something like, our king is a very different type of king. And today, that different is, is definitely gonna be on display. And for some of you, I, I just, I wanna warn you that Jesus's invitation will simply be, it's gonna be too different for you to embrace. I mean, you're gonna listen, but most likely you're gonna say, ah, you know, no way, pal, delete, check, please. You know, this just isn't for you. And I get it. But for some of you, this invitation will provide the needed direction and motivation your life has been waiting for. And if you haven't been with us recently, we're in a series. It's been a great series called Red Letter Invitations of Jesus. Because in in many Bibles, the words of Jesus are represented by red letters. And and the verses we're looking at today are found in Luke chapter 6 verses 27 through 36. And if your Bible's anything like mine, they're gonna have three distinct paragraphs. And when I study the Bible, I actually like to, for my own study, I like to title paragraphs. And for this one, I titled the first paragraph, Crazy Love. The second paragraph is Common Love. And the third paragraph is Child of God Love. Now, so let's take a look at at the first, okay? This is verse 27 through 31. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Now, I titled this paragraph Crazy Love because that's what it is. I mean, it's crazy. When somebody slaps you, let them slap the other cheek. Uh, I don't think that's really gonna be my first natural response. But just like today, Jesus' audience lived by the golden rule, which when someone wounds you, you seek revenge. It's an eye for an eye. You You hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. Yet Jesus takes that global rule and he changes it to the golden rule, where he says, do to others as you would like them to do to you. We know that as the golden rule. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, this is so ridiculous that I think, I actually think this might be where the phrase, oh, Jesus, came from. (laughs) You know, love my enemies. Oh, Jesus, I'd I'd rather be a gluten-free vegan. Love your enemies. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd rather tithe more. I, I'd rather vacation in North Korea. Oh, Jesus. But Jesus is applying love to one of the most difficult concepts in life. It's, it's definitely an invitation to jump into the deep end of the spiritual pool. And, and let's see why this is, this is deep. Because if you look at, at paragraph two, verses 32 through 34, you're gonna see what I call common love. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Here's the paraphrase. 
If you love those who love you, it's not that big of a deal. Even the godless do that. See, common love is what common people do. Loving your enemies is what kingdom people do. Common love is is what sinners do. But loving your enemies is what the spirit-led do. Common love is it's, it's what pagans do. But loving your enemies is what disciples do. See, anyone can love those who love them, but loving your enemies is what Jesus followers do. I mean, even sinners who who aren't guided by a resurrection compass, they can find their way to do good. But those of us who have put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross, we're called to live and love in a different type of way. Love your enemies. So for those of you who are like, maybe you're maybe new to faith, you're watching, you're investigating, it's important for you to understand that Jesus clarifies his mission in a very compelling way. In John 10, 10, he says, I came that you might have life and life abundantly. And Jesus knows that you can't have an abundant life, a fulfilled life, a great life when you are harboring enemies within your heart. See, you gotta love your enemies because if you don't, it's gonna impact the way that you live. Like when you have enemies, it it damages your heart. It minimizes your joy. Enemies excrete a residue of bitterness into your life. And the bottom line is, enemies reduce your capacity to love and they, they diminish your happiness. Enemies, enemies don't allow you to live the abundant life that God has intended for you. And Jesus, here's what he knows about your heart and my heart, is that you can't compartmentalize your heart. I, I, we think we can. We think, I'm just going to love these people and I'm going to hate these people. No, you won't. Your hate for one will actually impact your ability to love others. Enemies minimize your love. Enemies drain your ability to love. And as a result, your relationships are weakened. Your marriage, your kids, your, your, your friendships, they're all getting a leftover love, a, a lesser or weaker love. Now, some of you know that I, I write books and speak a lot on marriage. I've been doing it a lot at Mariners over the last decade. As a matter of fact, we have a Marriage Matters uh, next Saturday night after church at Mariners Irvine. Go on the website for more information to register. It's only, it's 10 bucks and you get meals. Uh, it's like a date. Anyway, uh, there was an article in the USA Today about this wedding yard sales. And I thought it was interesting. It, make, it makes great headline. Woman celebrates her divorce by torching wedding dress at garage sale. It's a great headline, but it also reveals great pain. I mean, this brought public attention to her enemy, but it also displays a heart on fire, her heart. I mean, these are flames of self-destruction. And here's another uh, wounded spouse, takes out a billboard. Stephen, do I have your attention now? I know all about her, you dirty, sneaky, immoral, unfaithful slimeball. Everything caught on tape. Your soon-to-be ex-wife, Emily. P.S. I paid for this billboard from our joint bank account. I mean, that's pretty brutal. How about this one? Uh, this is this is this is like from an enemy neighbor, super angry and a very bad speller. Okay, uh, going public with your hate isn't—it's just not the path to the abundant life. It's not the preferred life that God has for you. The the life that God has for you is paved with love, even for your enemies. So here's my question to you: Who's your enemy? 
I mean, some of you are going to know this right away. It's your boss who grinds you or a, a coworker who bullies you or an ex who belittles you or a family member who slanders you or a friendship gone sideways. You know exactly what they did to become your enemy. As a matter of fact, you've rehearsed it and you've replayed it and you reviewed it. And it's clear they are your enemy, whether they know it or not. They trigger your anger. I mean, you may even be angry with me right now for teaching the words and ways of Jesus, right? I mean, you're thinking, Doug, you don't even know what that person did to me. I mean, the pain is is so big and real and intense and visceral. I mean, if you did know, you wouldn't be suggesting this. But first, you need to know that I understand pain and I know what it's like to be deeply hurt by somebody. And second, this isn't my idea. (laughs) I'm not expecting you to do this, but Jesus is because he has a bigger, better, more rewarding life waiting for you. And I know some of you are thinking, uh, you can't come up with a specific name of an enemy, so you're feeling pretty good about yourself. I mean, you're thinking, maybe I'm off the hook today. <laughs> He's clearly not addressing me. Okay, Spanky, but before you get too pious, I bet you're pretty good at creating enemies. With, with people who like, they disagree with you, they don't share your uh, political bumper sticker, they're on the wrong side of the whole mask preference. Uh, you may not have a specific name of an enemy, somebody you know who stole or backstabbed or uh, bullied you or kicked your cat over the fence, but nonetheless, there are people, often, often nameless, who can rapidly become your enemy. For me, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm embarrassed at how quickly I can make someone my enemy, a bad driver. I mean, someone who fast walks so they can get into the restaurant before me. The person in front of me at Starbucks who's paying with coins that she's searching for in her big Gucci bag while holding a dog that looks angry because he's dressed in a stupid sweater and my drink is getting cold. Okay, here's my point. Enemy making is super easy. Enemy status, it actually, a lot of times it just begins with a minor jealousy. A person has something that you want. Like when I go to the gym and I see a guy my age with a, 32-inch waist and six-pack abs. I, I feel something. You know, jealousy kind of appears. But, but really, so what? I mean, sure, I wish I had a six-pack. I don't. Move on, grab a donut, okay? Uh, a minor jealousy isn't usually enough for me to create an enemy. But when I come back the next day and I see that guy's 2021 Porsche Cayenne taking up three spaces and the only spot available for my 1999 Suburban is between the trash bin and the shopping cart stable, it's such a tight fit that I can't even open my door. I have to dismount through the back window because I don't have the ab strength to climb out the moonroof. Now, oh yeah, he's my enemy. And I walk in disgruntled, mad, angry, thinking, you know, if I didn't tithe so much, maybe I could afford a Porsche too. But when he becomes my rival, my capacity to love him and love others is minimized. You've got your stories. You know, when your child doesn't get as much playing time as the other kid and and your child is obviously better, the coach is keeping you from something you want. Boom, enemy, right? And your capacity to love is is diminished. Or when your neighbor flaunts that stupid, uh, you know, student of the month bumper sticker, you don't want him to experience success that you've never tasted. Your bumper sticker says, my kid was student of the month at Juvenile Hall. It's not the same, right? Here's what I'm saying. You and I don't need someone to actually hurt us to create an enemy. We're good at creating enemies on our own. So let's get honest. When I say the word enemy, can you 
Can you actually see a name and a face that, and you immediately know the offense and how they wounded you? Maybe they're sitting next to you right now, which is a whole nother conversation. Or maybe the enemy's name isn't on the tip of your tongue, but you're like me, you're fairly skilled at creating enemies. Or, or maybe it's both. And here's the deal. I, I'm smart enough to know that it's not going to be very helpful for me to say like, okay, everybody, Jesus says, love your enemy. So go home and work on it this week and crochet those words, love my enemy into your favorite pillow. Ready, break. No. This isn't easy. That's why I said it's weird. It's different. No one wants to love an enemy. It's just not natural. When I'm hurt, my first response isn't to run into the kitchen and bake a reconciliation cake. What's natural is revenge. Like, I want to see that other person suffer like I did. Revenge and hatred, that's what's natural. I know it's natural. You know it's natural. So let's move to what's spiritual or what's what's faithful to Jesus. If you remember last week, Eric said that we are changed and commissioned to love. And to do that, we've got to learn how to love our enemies. So how do I, how do I love my enemies? And what I want to do is I want to go back to that very first paragraph that we looked at, verses 27, 28, that I titled Crazy, Crazy Love. Because the answer is right here. But do, those of you who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies. Watch. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. There it is. I mean, these aren't even, I'm just stealing them from Jesus. It's so clear. It's so specific. It's so practical. I really don't even need to teach on it. It's, it's super obvious. Like, like this is super obvious. I brought this picture. As you'll see up here. Uh, super obvious, okay? It contains, it contains peanuts. Or how about this one? The, the library is closed until opening time. Obvious, right? How about, <laughs> this is my favorite. Caution, do not swallow. I don't know the story behind that, but that seems super obvious. And Jesus does this with us. He says, let me get obvious. And we're gonna start with the first one that I think we can all do, and that's this. Pray for your enemy, okay? We're gonna start there, pray for your enemy. Now, why pray for them? Because prayer will change the way that you see them. Prayer will slowly recalibrate your heart. And your prayer doesn't have to be, you know, poetic and peppy. You can actually pray with honesty. You can say, God, I don't want to love this guy. I hate him too much. And I would say, you did it. Okay, that was a prayer. Congratulations. That counts as prayer because you were talking to God. So start there. I mean, if you hate the person you're praying for, you can tell God because let me just let you in on a little secret. God won't be surprised. Jesus isn't saying like, oh, really? You hate her? As God, that catches me off guard because we thought you were best friends. Didn't we, God the Father? Didn't we, God the the Spirit? No, you, you could just pray, Lord, I hate this person, but you already know that. I need your power to love this enemy because I can't do it on my own. Now, let me tell you a little, little about Doug Fields. I've been walking with Jesus since I was a teenager, about 40 years. And I have learned over the years that when I pray for my enemy long enough, I actually eventually begin to feel sorry for the pain in that person's life that causes him to to be such a jerk, that that prayer actually ignites compassion. And when I pray, I I actually become more aware of my enemy's pride or, or deep insecurity that caused him to lash out. See, when you pray for your enemy, 
your heart adjusts, your, um, your perspective changes, and then compassion appears and love follows. So that's why Jesus says, pray for your enemy. Second thing he says is, bless your enemy. And, and when we bless our enemy, it's doing something a little bit different because in the original language of the Bible, the word bless actually means this, to speak well of, to speak well of. See, a lot of us, we don't throw fists, but we actually punch with our words. That, that we are verbal arsonists and we light our enemies on fire by the way we talk about them, the way we add tone to what they did and add intent. But Jesus gets real practical. He says, quit trashing them verbally. Stop talking negatively about them. Quit, quit adding verbal kerosene to the fire. And for some of you, um, this, is gonna, this is gonna sting what I'm about to say because you've made your enemy part of your identity, that you actually enjoy bashing them. You get, you get the endorphin rush from it and you don't wanna give that up because there's something about hating that person that makes you come alive. I mean, it, it gives you meaning. You like, you like getting people on your team against them. You're a, you're a crusader against your enemy because it feels good. Friends, that's not the way of Jesus. Blessing them is. You know, my mom said some weird stuff, but she also said this. If you can't say anything nice, you know this, don't say anything at all, right? But Jesus isn't actually saying that. He's not saying keep quiet. He's saying to actually speak well of them. That after you pray for them, then you bless them verbally. And you might be saying, Doug, I, 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 I wouldn't know what to say. You can find something. You can say, hey, she has great kids. He, he has a nice car. I mean, start somewhere. He doesn't seem to sweat that much. Wherever it is, I'm not saying it's easy, but blessing them verbally is easier than the third paragraph or the third action is this, do good to your enemy. Now, this is the toughest of all, but this is the way of Jesus. See, think about this. When Jesus' enemies came to arrest him, Peter cut off a soldier's ear. Now, this guy was clearly an enemy of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Puts it back on, right? Again, Jesus modeled this for us, loving our enemies, and he invites us to be more like him. So when you do good, here's what happens. God's spirit will use those faith actions to grow you. Your actions, uh, they may not change or restore the relationship, which by the way, isn't even necessarily the goal, but doing good to your enemy will restore your heart. It'll restore your heart to a place where Love rules, love reigns, love wins. Love is you, okay, when you do good. <laughs> when my kids were growing up, I was the, I was the dad who coached their, their teams. I mean, you, you've heard the expression, if you can't play, coach. Well, that was me. And we had moved from Irvine to South County, and uh, I didn't know people in our new little league, and I wanted to coach my son's team, and I quickly learned that they were way more serious about coaching than I was. I had to go through this intense series of interviews. I came from a league where basically if you had a pulse, you could coach a team. But here I was interviewed for two hours by the league commissioner and he was not only very serious, he was also boastful about his many years of winning the league championship. And as much as I tried to hold back my laughter, it was a little tough. I, I had a few steroid jokes that uh, he didn't seem to appreciate. Anyway. 
Two weeks after the interview, I was invited to the Little League board meeting where I was informed that I had been selected to be the manager of AAA baseball. This is nine and 10-year-old boys with a one-year probation. And when they told me this, and I, I acknowledge that I shouldn't have done this, but I did a little curtsy and said, the honor is all mine, thy lords. And um, no one laughed. But that actually triggered the chairman to make it clear that I was his last choice. And long story, medium length, this guy hated me. I mean, I was definitely his enemy. He proved it. I mean, he gave me a terrible practice schedule, the worst equipment. I mean, he tried to break me, talk bad about me to other people. And at this point, I made a conscious decision that I was going to pray for him, I was going to bless him, and I was going to do good. And I did. I mean, I went out of my way to serve him. I spoke highly of him to other parents and coaches. I'd umpire his games when he couldn't find one, which is the toughest part of managing a team. I traded him batting cage times to accommodate him. I paid a photographer to take pictures for his team. I had a buddy of mine who was a high school baseball coach give his players hitting lessons. Basically, I've been over backwards doing good. And here's the truth. I don't really know if it did anything for him. I mean, he still may hate me to this day because we won the league championship that year, which meant I was automatically made the all-star coach and I asked him to be my assistant coach with a mandatory one-year probation. Uh, but anyway, why do all that? Because really, it, it would have been easier to be his enemy. And here's why I did it. Because that's just not the way I want to live my life. I don't want to live with enemies. I don't want to waste my life and, and my love harboring enemies. I want to follow Jesus. I want the abundant life that Jesus promises. I want his blessings and his rewards. And that's what I want for you too. And really, his blessings and his rewards, that is the essence of, of paragraph three, the one that I titled, A Child of God Love. Verse 35. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as our Father is compassionate. Now, here's the deal. I titled this paragraph Child of God Love because when you love your enemy, you not only resemble your heavenly father, but watch, you're also acting as children of the most high. And here's the bonus. There's a promise of a reward that is connected to this. And friends, what you gotta understand today is that our savior didn't say, do as I say and not as I do. No way. I mean, Jesus felt real pain and hatred from others and he still loved them. You see, loving enemies is the character of God. Jesus washed Judas's feet knowing that he would betray him. I mean, right up until the moment of his death, brutally nailed to the cross, surrounded by enemies, Jesus's dying words were what? Father, forgive them. That's the cross. The cross is a picture of of loving an enemy. And if you read Romans chapter five, you're gonna see that the cross allows you and I to move from God's enemy to his friend. And when you put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross, you're no longer his enemy because the cross changed everything. The cross changes your status from enemy to friend. You didn't earn God's friendship. You didn't, you didn't achieve God's love. You didn't unlock God's grace, but you just get it. 
and you get it all. The very worst version of yourself is love by God. And it's a love that's it's not rational. It's totally uh, nonsensical and absurd, but it's big enough for you to be able to love your enemy, to pray for your enemy, to do good for your enemy because he loved you first. So when people hurt you, and they will, you respond in a way that doesn't make sense because Jesus responded in a way that doesn't make sense to anyone except God. And so God, that's our prayer. We don't want to harbor enemies. We don't want our abundant life to be reduced. We want your blessings and reward, but we need your power and strength to love our enemies. We can't do this on our own, so we beg you for your indwelling spirit to help us. Thank you for the clarity and the simplicity of your word of what to do, to pray, to bless, to do good. We're gonna do that this week. In your name, Jesus. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can head to the website by clicking the link in our show notes or text MYMARINERS to 77977. If you'd like more biblical encouragement from Mariner's Church throughout the week, we also have the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Every episode is a 7-10 to minute reflection from our 2021 annual read, A Mariner's Tradition and it's based in the book of Proverbs. We're reading Timothy and Kathy Keller's devotional, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. And why are we doing this? Well, God wants us to benefit from his wisdom and avoid foolish thinking and living. Instead of binging on social media or your favorite streaming service, imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that God will use to change your life. Hey, let's get wise together. Join us and head over right now and download the Gospel Everyday Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Have a great week and may you live by God's grace every day.